Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with an unfortunate instant analysis edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back unexpectedly this Thursday due to some huge news items that have shaken the world of professional wrestling. We just released our NXT and AEW episode a couple hours ago, and I think the Silver King at the end of that show remarked that he was so excited not to have to tape another podcast until Tuesday after going so deep over the last couple of weeks. Well, let's just call that a jinx because moments after uh, the Getting Over Wrestling podcast published its latest episode, out of nowhere, WWE for the second straight year on April 15th decided to release a number of wrestlers from its roster. Not only that, AEW a couple hours later popped the biggest rating in the history of the program. So between WWE's releases, AEW's big rating, the Silver King said, you know what? We need instant analysis. And that is what the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is here to do. Break down the biggest news in the world of wrestling for you as soon as actually possible. So that is what we're going to do today. You know, my goal is to, you know, not make this fun because it's not fun news, really, especially from the WWE end, uh, but really to kind of extemporaneously share with you my thoughts about this news, what happened in the world primarily of WWE. Real quick, before we get into these topics, and really it's one major topic that is going to dominate this show, the reminders as always, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It's where you find out about episode releases. I've been tweeting about this news all day as well, so you're able to keep up with it, send in tweets and DMs, ask us questions. Uh, and don't forget also to head on over to Apple Podcasts. We do these instant analysis for you guys, for the listeners. If you could head over and drop a five-star rating and review, it would be much appreciated to let us know that you appreciate us going to these lengths to uh, create episodes like this. Instant analysis, not just around pay-per-views, but around major news that happens in the world of professional wrestling. So with all that said, let's get into the main topic, which is WWE on Thursday releasing nine members of its talent pool. And there's a number of ways that we can kind of attack this story. Before I get into the person-by-person releases, and before I get into the reasoning for them, which has not officially been stated, or anything like that, I do think it's first important to put WWE in the context of other businesses, right? Whether it is pro sports teams, whether it is Walmart, or Disney, or really any company that you can think of, people get fired and lose their jobs. People also get hired. And it is not necessarily abnormal for a wrestling company after a big show or a big time of year to fire some people. Now, there are a ton of reasons why make these releases don't make sense. In particular, certain people being released don't make sense. And we can get into some of those individually. But when you look at the list, which we'll go through, the bottom half of the list, it's really not ultimately that surprising that these people were released by WWE. Then that doesn't make it good and it doesn't make it fair because life, but life is not fair. 
and people lose their jobs. I am someone who luckily uh, I've never been fired from a job before, but I did resign from one position and I did have another job that they downsized the company on me. And I got, you know, I didn't get 90 days. I actually got four months, but I got some money to kind of say, hey, we're going to pay out your salary for four months and go find yourself another job. So these things happen. And the company I was working for was nowhere near as big as WWE. And I certainly wasn't making the money that some of these wrestlers make. So while the first blush reaction is always, well, F WWE, you know, they don't need to save any money. So why'd they fire these people? Well, it's not always about just the budget and the bottom line. In this case, it may be because according to one report, WWE is saying that budget cuts are part of this, right? But there is also the thing that you need to remember that WWE is constantly signing new talent. NXT, the Performance Center, they are building, you know, a significant talent roster. And if they see people that are on the main roster, and I'm not talking about the entirety of the people released here, but if they see people on the main roster under their employee who they just know they're not going to use or they don't have plans for in the future, or maybe they request their releases and WWE's denied them in the past, but then they decide to grant them, it's really tough to kind of blame a company from a company standpoint, not talking as fans, just talking about business right now, from deciding to release employees. These are things that happen. Now, there was no excuse for WWE to release anyone at the start of the pandemic. It was absolutely ridiculous. They were firing people in the middle of a pandemic when jobs were uncertain, when a lot of wrestling companies were not operating. And even if they were paying 90-day non-compete clauses to many of them, some of the people they fired, they had just re-signed to new contracts. One, that applies to one of the people that WWE fired this time around as well. But that was exceptionally like evil. And, you know, th- that is that deserves scorn. That deserved legitimate anger. Here, we're, we're at the tail end of the pandemic. Things are somewhat getting back to normal. And this, to me, was more of a normal corporate move, whereas that was, let's save some face for our stockholders and say, hey, considering we have an uncertain year coming up and we don't know that we're going to be touring and traveling and bringing in money that way, let's just cut a bunch of people and that way you think that we're doing whatever we can to save money. So last year's cuts, for me personally, breaking it down from this type of perspective, were far more offensive and far more deserving of scorn like legitimate scorn for how dare you fire people given this situation than these do. These are more, these affect me more personally where I'm like, how could you not utilize these, some of these people and how could you have them under your employ and fail to use them properly and to enhance your own product? So this, I take more from an offensive standpoint from a, as a wrestling fan, someone who knows these performers and knows they can do significantly better than what they've otherwise done. The prior releases, I was actually like angry as a human being. So I, I do think you need to look at those in perspective. I, I got a tweet from Sup- at Suplex Casey, Casey Newton. He says, hey, Adam, really hope you reckon with the way WWE is showing its true colors here. I, I don't think they're showing any colors here. I, I think anyone getting fired from any job at any time is horrible. But that's something companies do. They also hire people. So I don't like what happened today. And I feel horrible for the nine people who lost their jobs. But I also kind of look at it from the perspective of this is not abnormal. I don't think there's ever been a year in WWE history where they have not released some wrestlers. 
So I, I don't, I know like everyone likes to pile on WWE and call it a shitty company for one reason or another, but I, I find it hard to look at nine talent being released and kind of say, well, they screwed all of them. I, I don't necessarily know that that's true, despite the fact that anyone losing their job is horrendous and terrible. And I, I hate it. I don't want anyone to be out of work. That's It's a reason why uh, on Twitter, on my personal Twitter, at Silverstein Adam, when we talk about like sports teams and coaches, I never call for coaches to lose their jobs. Because despite me thinking that, well, someone could do way better leading my favorite teams than this other person, I'm not trying to say that this person should not be employed and lose money. And this doesn't count for WWE, but health benefits and, and all the things that go with you know, having a job. So I'm very personally sensitive to people losing their jobs. I just think that when we're looking at this historically and in the in that context, WWE releasing some performers is not the most abnormal thing. And again, last year's cuts were contemptible and deserved significant scorn and they got it. WWE got raked over the coals last year for the people they released. This year, I think they've made some huge mistakes in the people that they released, but I'm also not going to sit here and kind of tear them down for changing up their roster and employees under their organization. These are things that companies do all the time. So I do think it's worth kind of putting that in context, even if you are legitimately upset at some of the people that were released, and I certainly am. WWE just has an incredible way of creating negative headlines and news for itself when things are otherwise going pretty well. Like WWE just came off of WrestleMania that generally received rave reviews. People had problems with one thing or another. Some didn't like night two as much as night one, whatever. But generally it was, wow, WWE really pulled this off. They did a really good two-night show. Fans were back. The wrestlers were really happy. Some of them were crying on stage. And the mood around WWE was exceptionally positive. They let Chris Jericho go on Steve Austin's podcast on the network and they aired it after WrestleMania. The sentiment for the company was quite positive, really considering some really having issues with the Peacock move and hiccups in service and problems viewing the content, anger over how you can't pause and rewind and fast forward and not all the content is there. So that was kind of like a roadblock to WWE. But other than that, the press and news has been very positive. Them, two new women's champions featuring Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks in the main event. Things are going well for WWE. But as I said, they just have this incredible way of ensuring that the news around the company is negative. It can never be positive for more than like a week at a time. When we get into these nine releases, what's most notable with all of them is the failures. And we're going to get to those individually as we discuss them one by one. But there are a number of people on this list that when I say their name, you just shake your head and kind of say, man, what could have been with them in WWE? And the hope is that they get significant opportunities elsewhere going forward because some of them have extremely bright careers ahead in their future. Others, you know, perhaps less so, but it doesn't mean they won't find work. It doesn't mean they won't continue wrestling. I think they will. So with that, let's break down the nine releases. We'll go, you know, one by one and kind of talk about them individually. The biggest name, without a doubt, obviously, and the biggest surprise is Samoa Joe, who last made his appearance in WWE at WrestleMania 37 on the commentary table. Now, 
Samoa Joe, any listeners of this podcast know, he is one of my all-time favorites, in, especially in WWE, since his run with NXT began. He had a great run in NXT as the champion, came over to WWE, and was really red hot. As a wrestler, Samoa Joe was fantastic. But WWE still dropped the ball with him in two specific instances. The first being the Brock Lesnar feud, which culminated in a match of Great Balls of Fire. My former co-host on the old wrestling podcast I was on, Nick Costos, tweeted this, and I completely agree with him. One of WWE's worst booking decisions was not taking the title off Brock Lesnar with Samoa Joe just putting him to sleep in that match at Great Balls of Fire. That feud was hot fire. If you remember the, the whispering promo that Samoa Joe cut with Paul Heyman when he basically threatened his life and entire existence in the middle of the ring, him actually making Brock Lesnar fearful, the match that they had was incredible. And ultimately, it just ended and Joe lost. And you kind of shrugged because you knew he wasn't going to win. But it was such a great opportunity to put this guy over as a legitimate monster. And WWE had another great opportunity with Joe as well. And that was the extended AJ Styles feud, where he tormented him and he tormented his family. You remember all the stuff with Wendy and going to Styles' house and and talking shit on the mic to him during matches and, and segments and stuff and really getting in Styles' head. It was another situation where WWE was, they had this new shiny, you know, gem in AJ Styles, and they wanted to push him so damn hard that they just couldn't see a scenario in which they would allow a heel to get over him. They didn't let Nakamura get over him, and they didn't let Samoa Joe get over him. But the big business, what would have been huge, would have been Joe getting into Styles' head to such a degree that Styles lost the title to Joe, and then you allow him to make the babyface come back a couple months later and win the title back from him. So there were two major opportunities for Joe to be a world champion in WWE. The crowd loved him. They popped for him in a major way. The fans online loved him as well. I know that is only a portion of what WWE cares about, but there was a significant upswell wanting Joe to get those opportunities. And it just never came to pass. And those were two huge blown opportunities. You also had the Rey Mysterio feud where he like, kicked his ass at WrestleMania, I think, because Mysterio was injured. And Joe really never got a WrestleMania moment because of the WrestleManias in which he was kind of on the main roster for, he was either injured, one of them he was, two of them he was injured, I think, one of them he was suspended, and then one of them maybe he wasn't used or something like that. So this is just a guy who has all the tools, he has all the ability in the world, on the mic and in the ring, and they just, WWE main roster was not able to give him the proper moments and put it together for him. Now, over the last year or so, the I don't even want to call it a misuse. The inability to use Samoa Joe has not necessarily been the fault of WWE. Uh, Samoa Joe was apparently ready to return. I think it was from a thumb injury when he taped a commercial for Raw for USA Network and suffered a concussion during the commercial taping. And I believe the story as it goes is that he was cleared from uh, concussion protocol to like return to like the backstage area, but he has not had not been or has not been cleared for actual contact to return to the ring by WWE. So WWE started using him on commentary. And what happened when they used Samoa Joe on commentary? He became on the main roster, the best color commentator in WWE. This is a guy who we were talking about, hey, Samoa Joe is so freaking good. 
he should be in that number one color commentary chair. And I thought when they just recently hired Adnan Verk to lead Raw and they moved Corey Graves over to Raw to sit in that number two chair, that WWE had made the brilliant decision to take Samoa Joe and put him in the number two chair next to Michael Cole on SmackDown. Especially when uh, in the release, WWE stated that Samoa Joe was still part of the talent roster. And that was only a few days ago. And now here we are on Thursday, one day before SmackDown. We don't know who's going to be sitting there with Michael Cole. It may well be Corey Graves, this guy pulling double duty. I don't know. But we don't know who's going to be there. We do know it's not going to be Samoa Joe because this guy's been released. Now, we also don't know the circumstances regarding Samoa Joe's release. We don't know if this is 100% WWE or if perhaps Samoa Joe requested his release. There might be a scenario where WWE said, you are not clear to wrestle. And Samoa Joe's like, well, I went to a doctor on my own. He says I'm cleared to wrestle and I want to wrestle. So release me or use me. And WWE may have well said, well, we can't use you. So we're going to release you. We'll do you that favor. So maybe we're getting all worked up about Samoa Joe being released when in the end, it's going to be what he wanted. But I do know that personally, I'm going to be exceptionally sad not to see him on WWE TV. I'm not an up, up, down, down YouTube channel fan. But from the clips I have seen from that show, Samoa Joe is the most entertaining person by far for me. And there, there is no doubt that he is the biggest free agent of this entire group. I mean, it's not even a question. So do I think that Samoa Joe is going to head directly over to AEW and be a star for them? If he's cleared, you bet your ass I do. And if he's not cleared and he just wants to go do commentary someone else or somewhere else, I'm sorry, and maybe WWE did release him without him requesting it, then he's going to be incredible on commentary, whether it's an AEW or Impact or wherever he signs and wherever they decide to use him. Samoa Joe is going to be an absolute star because he is a star. He always has been a star. He's an incredible wrestler and he's great on the mic. So Samoa Joe hurts me deep down inside to see this happen. I hope in a best case scenario, it was at his request. Because if it's at his request, then you can't really be mad at WWE and you can actually be happy for Samoa Joe that he got what he wanted. But as of right now, he's tweeted a couple times. He has not said anything negative. He has not said anything positive, but he certainly hasn't said, hey folks, I requested my release, but I'm sure sooner than later, we will hear his side of the story one way or another. Now, moving on to the other eight releases, of course, you kind of have to do them as a package, but WWE, just as shockingly as Samoa Joe, maybe not just as shocking, but like if Joe's a 10 out of 10, they're a 9 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10, uh, released Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. Billy Kay made her last appearance at WrestleMania 37 in the Tag Team Turmoil match, and Peyton Royce last fought Asuka on that March 22nd Raw a couple of weeks ago. So WWE broke up the Iconics for no good reason whatsoever in a company that badly needed legitimate established women's tag teams. But okay, they broke them up. They split them up via brand. And as fans were worried, because we hear reports that they're going to push Peyton Royce and they just didn't want her kind of quote unquote saddled by Billy Kay. But then they give Billy Kay a gimmick, or maybe she came up with it, uh, where she has a resume and she's seeking to help and be employed by or work with other women, other teams, other people on the SmackDown brand, presumably in, in a little bit of a shoot, to get herself on television. And fans love it. They clearly find her hysterical. They love the gimmick and are totally buying into it. They were excited to see her 
at WrestleMania in that match, teaming with Carmella, even though it didn't make too much storyline sense and got rushed, you know, into action. They even put her front and center at the Royal Rumble in the women's match with Jillian Hall. And kind of like, hey, you guys are going to be paired together. It's funny because you're like the modern version of Jillian Hall who worked in WWE for a long time. And it really worked. And now she's released and fired. Even if you don't like Billy Kay as a wrestler, as an in-ring performer, and I think it's fair to say she was not exceptional in the ring, she's clearly an entertainer. You can find a role for this woman, perhaps in a comedic backstage interviewer type of deal, or in an R-Truth type of role. Maybe you team them up. You use her on the WWE Network as a host for certain things, or on kickoff show panels. There are a million things you can do with Billy Kay. Make her a social media star. You know, part of the bump. I, I, I mean, I'm just spitballing. None of this is written down. You can figure out a way to use Billy Kay. The fact that they couldn't, it's an absolute shame. And then you have Peyton Royce, who is better than she gets credit for being, is probably the best way I can put it. You know, ahead of that Oscar match, she cut a promo on Raw Talk. And, you know, it wasn't incredible, but it was an exceptionally strong promo saying, hey, look, Am I going to get opportunities here or what? Like, what are we doing? Shit or get off the pot with me. And WWE two weeks later put her in a match with Asuka. Now, look, we're trying to be fair and honest, right? Was that match incredible? No, it wasn't incredible. Did Asuka largely carry that match? Yes. But Peyton Royce was perfectly good in it. Like, she did her job and was a great counterpart for Asuka and is a totally capable wrestler. So again, even if you don't think that Peyton Royce is going to be a women's world champion for you in WWE. You badly need women's tag team wrestling. You just created a second women's tag team title to give NXT one completely separate from the main roster. And rather than take these two and say, you know what? It's not really working with them separate. We don't like it. Let's just bring them back as the Iconics again. Fans are going to love that. Screw the storytelling. We'll, we'll make it work. One of them gets traded and whatever happens. Instead of doing that, they just release both of them. There are other people, and I, I again, I don't call for anyone to lose their jobs, and I'm not going to name individuals. There's other people on the roster who they could have released and kept the Iconics who can still do business for WWE. I'm looking at it from the standpoint of what is good, what is best for business in WWE? And I don't see any way that releasing the Iconics is best for business in WWE. Splitting them up was bad for business. Releasing them doesn't work either. So it's just truly a shame. Uh, We'll move on to Chelsea Green, who last made an appearance on a November 13th SmackDown in which she fractured, I forgot if it was her hand or her wrist, but I think it was her wrist. The Chelsea Green situation is so interesting because she stalled getting on TV on NXT. And then once she did with the Robert Stone brand, it was really working. And you're like, okay, WWE has one of its up and coming women now in Chelsea Green and we've been waiting for her, but this is going well. And then Charlotte goes over to NXT and they team together. And you're like, damn, Chelsea Green and Charlotte, like that worked pretty well. And and Chelsea got a nice rub from Charlotte in that match. They tell a storyline where Chelsea ditches Robert Stone and it's basically going to the main roster, presumably because she proved to WWE in that match with Charlotte that she can go and she's ready to be on the main roster. So they bring her to the main roster. She immediately gets injured. 
That sucks. That is not WWE's fault. That is not Chelsea's fault. Then they finally figure out a way to get her back uh, right before, I guess, Survivor Series. They're trying to, to work her in and they give her this match and she's looking pretty decent in the match. And like midway through the match, injures herself again. Not WWE's fault, not Chelsea Green's fault. But what we've come to understand is a couple months ago, WWE just re-signed her to a new deal. So yes, this is not the same as, you know, last year's cuts where there were multiple people that they re-signed, including the Canaleses, including the Good Brothers, but she is the one. Chelsea Green is the one that they just recently re-signed and now they've released her. This despite Chelsea Green, by all accounts, being the total package, being someone who 100% can work in WWE. Now, did they fire her because they have injury concerns? And even though she's cleared now, it's, you know, two strikes. And it's like, well, how many times are we going to keep trying to debut you only for you to not actually work on the main roster or not actually be able to wrestle? Maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe it had something to do with her husband, you know, Zack Ryder, having been previously fired. Maybe she said, hey, look, if you're not going to use me, let me go. Give me another opportunity elsewhere. I don't know the details of the Chelsea Green situation. I don't know the details of any of these situations. But when you look at these four people in particular, Samoa Joe, Billy Kay, Peyton Royce, and Chelsea Green, it boggles the mind that WWE decided they were worthy of being released and could not figure out what to do with them when they were healthy. Again, I say that as a exception because of Samoa Joe and because of Chelsea Green. Her quote-unquote failures on the main roster are not her fault and they're not WWE's fault. You cannot blame WWE for someone getting injured twice and being unavailable. It doesn't mean it would have worked if she was healthy. It doesn't mean she would have gotten pushed if she was healthy, but they didn't have an, uh, an opportunity to do so. What you can blame them for is when they finally had an opportunity to do so because it feels it seems like she's recently been cleared. They just decided to fire her. Now you have Mickey James who was just on WWE TV last week during the pre-show NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver. Now, maybe this is a scenario where they tried to use her for this, didn't like her for it, and said, okay, that's the last straw. We're going to fire her. I will say that Mickey James uh, tweeted something very classy to WWE and Vince saying, hey, look, sometimes we see ourselves different than the company sees us and it didn't work out, but I appreciate my time. That's very nice of her. But Mickey James is a legend. And WWE, they used her on this pre-show. I thought she did a really good job. She called a couple matches. She was providing a little bit of commentary before the show began. I thought it was good, but okay, WWE didn't. But again, we're talking about the Iconics, right? WWE struggling for women's tag teams. You had the Iconics, you got rid of them. Chelsea Green was trying to develop a storyline on social media to team with Mickey James and talk about a rub allowing Chelsea Green and Mickey James to form a tag team with James as the veteran kind of teaching Chelsea and helping her, you know, in WWE live as she is actually in matches on the main roster, meaning helping her both behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. That's an incredible pairing. They definitely could have gotten something going there. Those are two solid teams, women's tag teams that WWE could have had. Instead, they split one up and then fired it and they fired the two individual pieces of one that never even got an opportunity to form. So those are really the releases, those five that anger me from the standpoint of WWE wasted, quote unquote, these people. And again, you can even say with Chelsea, it's not WWE's fault. And even with Samoa Joe, 
you can point to, if they can't clear him, then they can't clear him. You can't really blame them for that. But that doesn't change the fact that they have the opportunity with Brock Lesnar, they had the opportunity with AJ Styles, and they didn't put him over in either of those situations. Now, the other four releases, I am not saying that, you know, screw them, who cares? I'm not saying that. I'm also not saying that they didn't have any potential whatsoever or don't have potential elsewhere. What I am saying about these four is, I get it, I understand. One of them is Tucker, who last appeared on the SmackDown before WrestleMania. And before that, I think may have been backstage at Raw one time, but hadn't had a real match on Raw in months. Tucker, look, it did not take a rocket scientist. The second they split heavy machinery, and we even talked about it before splitting heavy machinery was even a a thought in our heads. It was exceptionally clear that Otis had a future in WWE and Tucker did not. They just were not going to find a way to utilize Tucker. And here we go and he's fired. So this is not a situation where I necessarily think he was misused. I just think he was a really good B person in a tag team with Otis. It, It worked, heavy machinery was solid. I didn't think that gimmick had a lot of legs. And I don't know that he as an individual singles wrestler had a lot of legs in WWE. It is surprising to me that they fired a guy who definitely could have been used on television, whether it's for enhancement or to put people over, whatever the case might be. But Tucker seemed happy that he was released by WWE on Twitter. So perhaps he asked for his release. And if he did, then I'm happy for him to get you know the opportunity to go elsewhere. There are plenty of other companies. I don't think he's anyone that's a shoe in for AEW or anything like that. But I do think Impact, Ring of Honor, they are two companies who could both use Tucker. Before I continue, by the way, I should mention, you know, potential destinations for these other people. Look, Billy Kane, Peyton Royce. I mean, if you're AEW, you sign them. If you're Impact, you sign them. I have to believe they team up again and go to one of those two organizations. Chelsea Green, obviously, with Matt Cardona, Zach Ryder. Zach's not really anywhere right now, right? So maybe she goes back to Impact, which she seemed to have success there. Maybe AEW picks her up. She is a big name women's free agent and she should get signed right away. Mickey James, I don't know what they're gonna do. I do think there is something to be said for AEW to possibly bring her in in a similar uh, Serena Deeb or Christian type of role. But then again, we talk about it all the time. AEW has so many people signed. They don't need to keep signing wrestlers. Maybe Mickey does some stuff with NWA considering her husband, Nick Aldis is there. Maybe Impact or Ring of Honor have something for her, or maybe she retires. I don't exactly know what's going to happen with Mickey, but I can tell you that Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, they should team up again and they should get a job at either Impact or AEW. And Chelsea Green, I would really be surprised again if she does not sign to Impact or AEW in short order. Samoa Joe to me is a no-brainer to AEW. I don't know how they pass him up. Uh, the only way he, I don't think, wrestles or isn't, isn't there is if he's not cleared to wrestle. And if that's the case, you could see Samoa Joe in New Japan. And if you see Samoa Joe in New Japan, business is gonna pick up for New Japan, I promise you that. There's three more people to talk about. Kalisto, who made his last appearance on the SmackDown before WrestleMania. By the way, very close friends with Sasha Banks and her husband, uh, Mikazi, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, Kalisto, look, uh, we've seen it, right, in his WWE career. He has the in-ring ability. He reminded some because of his diminutive size of Rey Mysterio. The guy's won titles before, but he has zero promo game. And I think as part of Lucha House Party, the three of them worked. But you know what? Lindsay Dorado and Grand Mitzalik, 
they've been better without Kalisto. And it kept seeming like Kalisto was going to re-debut on SmackDown. They showed him backstage a couple times. And you're like, oh, okay, they're going to start using him. And it just never happened. So I can't say I'm surprised that they released Kalisto. I do think there's plenty of opportunities for him. Probably more of a Ring of Honor or Impact guy. Wesley Blake made his last appearance on SmackDown in December 2020 alongside Steve Cutler when they were the Knights of the Lone Wolf, I think is what they called it. I think that lasted two, maybe three weeks. Steve Cutler was recently released on his own separately. Um, And so releasing Wesley Blake is not really a surprise, I have to say. Both of them, I did think were marginal. And again, no offense meant or intended, but I get it. Like I understand releasing Wesley Blake. Somehow, Jackson Riker, who has uh, an exceptionally questionable pattern of beliefs that he has been vocal about on social media, somehow he's still employed and working with Elias on Raw. I don't know if it's just because he's a body guy and he looks really big and strong or some other reason that I'm not aware of, but you would have thought he would be in this group and he's not. So that is certainly interesting. And then the least surprising release by far, only because we thought it was going to happen last year and it never did, is Bo Dallas. And Bo Dallas has not been on WWE TV since 2019 Crown Jewel. They have not figured out something to do with this guy. Now, I don't know the circumstances behind it. I don't think anyone knows the circumstances behind Bo Dallas. Uh, Remaining in WWE, not being released and not being used. But for some reason, it was okay for them to release him now. And it wasn't okay for them to release him previously. And I don't know if that's because he was on the last year of his deal or because he requested it or because Bray Wyatt was kind of like, what are you guys doing? Shit or get off the pot or I'm going to I'm going to be unhappy and not resign. Who the hell knows what happened here? But, you know, Bo had an interesting career. He was an NXT champion really before NXT took off in a major way. And he came to the main roster, and it just never really worked. I am shocked that throughout this entire Fiend storyline, they did not bring up Bo Dallas to work with Bray Wyatt, whether it was as a tag team, as a part of the Firefly Funhouse. It just seemed like a perfect scenario for them to actually get him involved in something, and you have to believe his brother would want to work with him. So it was just shocking to me that we never actually saw Bo Dallas somehow involved with Firefly Funhouse or The Fiend or anything like that. It's just exceptionally weird. I should note, because um, I did gloss over it, when I was mentioning Wesley Blake, Steve Cutler, and Jackson Riker, they were all together as the Forgotten Sons in NXT. And anyone who listened to this podcast from its inception knows that when they called were called up, I said at the time, this has no legs, it's not going to work. And immediately Jackson Riker said some stuff publicly, got them all taken off TV, And then all three of them, I think debuted the same week, re-debuted the same week, months later, Riker with Elias and then Cutler and Blake with uh, Corbin. That got dropped completely. Riker and Elias were on and off TV for a while. And somehow now Cutler has been released. Blake was released on Thursday and Riker is the only one still surviving. Now, out of everyone that I mentioned, anyone whose contract was not set to expire between now and inside of the next 90 days they will be unable to perform until July 14th. So that will be the end of that 90-day non-compete clause. And we hope that there's no further releases that we don't know about, right? There are certainly a lot of people 
who have not been used recently that we should be concerned about, especially people closer to the Samoa Joe Iconics um, side of things where we've been very disappointed with what WWE's done with them. The two most prominent names I can think of are Aleister Black and Murphy. Of course, WWE just recently released Andrade and he's out there and he doesn't have a condition on his release. We still don't know what's going to happen with Andrade. Aleister Black, it is reported, this is a minor spoiler alert, so you can hit the 30 second skip maybe once or twice if you don't want to be spoiled. So I'm just giving you that heads up right now. Aleister Black reportedly has begun taping vignettes for a return to SmackDown. He got drafted there and basically never appeared, or I think maybe he appeared once and that was it. Uh, And so that's really good news because Aleister Black is awesome and there's zero reason he shouldn't be on TV. I don't care that Zelina Vega got released. And, you know, there's plenty of people in WWE whose significant others are elsewhere. Aleister Black should be utilized. He should be at a minimum a mid-card champion, if not someone who is competing consistently in the main event. That's how talented he is. He's great on the mic, great in the ring. So it's really good news to hear that Aleister Black will presumably be coming back as long as they don't trash those vignettes and surprise us. And the other person is Murphy, who he had the run with Seth Rollins as a disciple. It worked exceedingly well. He was in the storyline with the Mysterios. He came out on top, beat Seth Rollins, you know, to end that. And then the Mysterios, some of them got COVID. They ended up dropping the angle because they couldn't appear for a number of weeks. And then Murphy did absolutely nothing. Rollins came back. Murphy was in two matches, despite not being aligned with Rollins again. And that's it. Now it was WrestleMania. So the hope certainly is that we see Murphy again and he's back soon, but there doesn't seem to be any momentum for him to do anything. And after Andrade got released, Murphy sent a tweet, I believe it was this week, saying something along the lines of, friend can't wait to meet you again or see you again. So the presumption is that Murphy may be looking for a way out or maybe assuming he will be on the way out if WWE um, doesn't start doing more stuff with him. So that's really a look at the releases, just to kind of reiterate what I said on top. You know, I I do think WWE deserves scorn for a number of things, including their entire rash of releases last year that they did right at the onset of a pandemic, firing that many people, including a number of people they had just re-signed. I think it's ridiculous. These, I'm going to criticize them, but my, my criticism comes from their inability to use some of the people who they fired Not so much for the general act of firing people, even though I find that upsetting on behalf of the nine individuals who no no longer have jobs. I am looking at it from someone who has been in the business and personally is in the position in my uh, life outside of wrestling where I am a boss and I have to make hard decisions sometimes. And if WWE, I'll, I'll put it this way, I'll wrap up on this. If WWE says, All of these releases were solely for the reason of budget cuts, which is a single report right now that is not really that substantiated. Um, Then that would be insulting because they're not saving enough budget by releasing these nine people to make any dent in their bottom line and their quarterly revenues or anything like that. But that could also just be something that they tell the talent to kind of say, hey, it's budget cuts, you know, nothing against you, no offense, you know, to try to keep a good relationship in case they decide to re-sign them going forward. Many of these people, though, it seems like the releases were more along the lines of we are just, we don't have any plans for you. We're not going to use you. And that's really the bottom five people on the list. I mentioned maybe six 
if you want to include Chelsea Green in there. But again, when you get into Samoa Joe and Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, it is just so unacceptable. Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, zero reason whatsoever for them to break them up. Zero reason whatsoever. They could not have both been consistently used on TV even after being broken up. Samoa Joe, it's really more, hey, if they won't clear him from a concussion and he wants to wrestle, then how do you blame them? But if he has been cleared and they haven't used him, or if he was released without requesting his release and he was happy doing commentary, then that is a, it's a massive stain on WWE for not being able to utilize a talent like him across their programming. It's just absolutely terrible. So I hope everyone understands when I try to give this perspective, uh, the way I'm coming from on this and hope you can respect that as my opinion. You may disagree. I understand. Um, People being fired and being released is not good. And it sucks for them personally. And I hate it for them personally. But from a WWE standpoint, just like I would if AEW released people or if NFL teams fire uh, talent who are... Uh, let's say, hurting their salary cap and they need to go hire, you know, lower priced players. It, it is not abnormal for people to be fired in any business. So in that way, I'm not going to say that this makes them contemptible as a company. I, what I hate is that they're not smart enough creatively to be able to utilize some of these pieces of talent. And you really wonder, coming on the back of this, if WWE had seen AEW's massive rating that was released on Thursday if they would have made all of these releases, particularly Samoa Joe out of the entire group, in the first nightly, regularly unimposed, meaning not a one-off due to a scheduling conflict between the networks, in the first unopposed show of AEW Dynamite on Wednesday, AEW did 1.2 million viewers with a 0.44 demo in the 18 to 49. Those are absolutely massive numbers and far beyond even probably Tony Khan's wildest expectations. You could say, okay, maybe there was some interest from WWE fans due to them being on a post for the first time. Maybe they only watched NXT. So they decided to check check in and check it out. Maybe some older audience wanted to come watch because they were heavily promoting Mike Tyson for two weeks. But you're talking about like a 400 to 500,000 viewer climb from normal. And with a 1.2 million number this week, you have to assume that AEW can regularly be in the 900,000 to 1 million range if it drops at all from 1.2 million. It may not drop at all next week. And if they start coming anywhere close to this 1.2 million number regularly, they're basically pulling about two thirds of the Raw audience overall. Raw, a program that's been on the air for 30 years AEW, a program that's been on the air for two and like three quarters of the demo as well, which is incredible. And really that should worry WWE in a significant way because if AEW starts pulling in 1.2 million or even consistently over 1 million, every week over 1 million, no doubt about it, then that deal they signed with TNT, that may get renegotiated. They may get a lot of money. That second show may air way sooner than they think. And those pay-per-views that may be uh, a barrier to entry for some people to AEW, the fact that you have to spend $50 every four months for one of their pay-per-views, maybe they start putting those on HBO Max and maybe they're not $50 anymore and maybe people start buying into AEW. So, man, 
this is just, it was a stunning number for AEW. Really bad news for WWE on the back end of all of these releases and negative headlines. But when you look at this, I mean, you have to remember, as great as this is for AEW, and WWE may have had zero choice moving NXT to Tuesdays due to the NHL package that is expected to be extended for USA Network. But it feels like WWE has taken its foot off the competition gas by releasing Samoa Joe, having Chris Jericho on the WWE Network immediately after WrestleMania. And you kind of need to question that. Like the WWE kind of get, you know, over a year, you know, kind of two years into this and kind of say, eh, AEW, you know what? They're actually not that big of a threat after all. We don't need to worry about it. And just do all of this. And basically in the same day, in the same week, and now here comes AEW seeing an open door and an unforced error from WWE just steaming ahead. I mean, that is some bad business decision-making if that is how it all transpired. And again, we don't know these things. We're only kind of guessing at this point. But man, in one day, really bad you know, negative headlines for WWE, bad news for the superstars who got released, and really damn good news for AEW. So a lot of stuff to, to put in perspective, a lot of stuff to think about as we close out the week and move into next week. Now, even though we did this instant analysis news podcast for the WWE releases, and again, I hope there are no more. I hope that nine is that final number from WWE. Uh, but even though we're doing this podcast, it does not change our schedule one iota. So our Thursday podcast for NXT and AEW, it's in the books. Listen to it on the archive if you have not already. We'll be back Tuesday talking all things WWE from SmackDown and Raw. We'll probably get Chris Vanini's thoughts on the releases as well. And then we will be back once again next Thursday talking all things NXT and AEW. So hey, instant analysis, you only get it here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That is how we do these things. Do us a favor as a thank you. Head on over to Twitter. Give us a follow at Getting Overcast. Join us on Apple Podcasts, even if you don't use Apple Podcasts, to listen to the show. Find the show. Leave a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast and our instant analysis episodes. So that's it. The Silver King was tired a few hours ago when we did the NXT and AEW show. I'm definitely tired now. So I'm going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.